Brent Kermelitic and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Brent Kermelitic and today we will be talking about renewable energy. So a new Australian invention is about to transform the solar battery storage industry. The technology has been in development for a decade. Essentially, most solar batteries are made, as we know, from lithium, which is mine. This technology uses graphene instead, which is an incredible compound made from waste products like recycled plastic plastics and bio-waste. It makes far superior, it makes a far superior rather than cleaner battery. In other words, it's huge news for renewable energy and, and much welcome news, I guess, to for the potential to help us reach our net zero target sooner. This Australian discovery and development is set to make solar energy cleaner and more reliable both here and around the world. Called the Power Cap Hybrid Graphene Battery, this is a sustainable energy system, storage system rather, that lasts two to three times longer than standard lithium batteries. It also provides up to 10 times more power density. This means the energy is delivered instantly which is really important when we are talking about powering mobile devices and electric vehicles and whatnot. So currently most solar batteries, as I said, come from lithium, which is a mined resource. And there's been recently some stuff in the media about uh, Australian miners coming to grief around the world, trying to get their hands on the, on the lithium. However, graphene is lightweight and it's about to be manufactured in Australia from waste products, as I said, recycled plastics and bio-waste by ZED or ZED. Discovered in 2004, this compound is a single layer of carbon atoms bound tightly in a hexagonal honeycomb lattice, make it some 200 times stronger than steel. The production of this clean technology proudly boasts a zero carbon footprint. So, Zero emissions technology, rather, which is what ZED stands for. Principal engineer and CEO, Ahmed El Safdi, is the visionary behind the new technology. He and his team of postdoctorate researchers and engineers have been developing the power cap, power cap rather, technology for more than a decade. So, welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Ahmed El Safdi. Thanks, Branka. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. That's all good. So, before we talk about this exciting new technology, let's talk about you. You have, apparently, I've looked you up, um, you have 37 years of experience in the energy sector. You are uh, chartered with the Royal Institution of Chemical Engineers. You're registered with the Board of Professional Engineers of Queensland and a member of the Institution of Engineers Australia. With over 30 years of research and development experience in the energy sector in the US, Saudi Arabia and Australia. So just... It, the, the elevator pitch, Ahmed, what, briefly describe your journey to becoming CEO of ZED. Yeah, thanks, Franco. Um, so um, I actually graduated from the University of Sydney uh, in chemical engineering and um, worked for CSR as a research and development engineer in the synthetic fuel production. So we were making crude oil from shale. That was shortly after the second oil shock um, back in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and once crude oil prices settled down again, uh, CSR sold that project. So I ended up joining Caltex. 
So I worked uh, the refinery for a while um, uh, and and uh, their head office in Kent Street uh, for a while. And then uh, the majority of the time at their um, uh, state head office uh, in Golden Fleece House in North Sydney. So I ended up seeing a fair amount of the petroleum industry um, here and in the US uh, where I also worked. Um, um, and I started to see some of the issues that we had in all facets of petroleum production. So um, exploration had its environmental issues, um, production itself, uh, movements. Uh, and I, there was, this was around about the time of the Exxon Valdez. Um, and the thing that probably took my interest the most is that that didn't even rate in the top 10 oil disasters uh, in that year. Um, so um, the, the environmental impact of petroleum started uh, to be sort of clear to me um, uh, as to what needed to happen. So moving forward, I um, ended up developing um, a way of being able to store energy uh, using mechanical means, uh, compressed air, we also developed hydrogen fuel cells, but we found that, you know, the round cycle efficiencies of those, um, you know, weren't exactly what we were after and they didn't have the inertia. So we started to look into these um, um, electrostatic means of energy storage. So this was based on the supercapacitors that are currently available and have been available for the last 80 years. So what we have to try to do is actually generate um, a supercapacitor or supercapacitor-like product. So in other words, it's fast charging and fast discharging and very powerful, but with a higher energy density, meaning we can make it last longer. So um, we started to look into uh, graphene production and we started producing that from sugarcane waste. Um, and then we're getting uh, graphene-like substance or graphitic carbon out of plastics and tyres. And um, we trial them as well to develop uh, what we call a pseudo-capacitor battery. So effectively, uh, we use um, um, metal oxides on um, one side. Uh, this is an asymmetrical cell. And we have this graphitic or graphene um, on the anode side. And so uh, that's how we manufacture our battery. Um, I know it's a long elevator ride. Um, so, but effectively it gives us uh, a product that's um, uh, more powerful, two to three times more power or power density per kilogram. Um, and it gives us uh, a similar energy density, as a matter of fact, we're slightly lighter than a lithium battery, mm -hmm. but above all, it doesn't come uh, with the problems that you have with um, thermal runaway, which is, um, you know, if you try to charge a lithium battery really quickly or discharge it really quickly um, because it's exothermic reaction, um, you could find yourself with a fire that you can't put out. Right. So that's the reason we went down the track of developing a pseudo capacitor battery. Okay, that's interesting. So, in, in terms of the environmental, you know, benefits, I guess, how does it actually differ from what we have, what we have now, 
at our fingertips that, are, that is already functioning? I mean, what are some of the, the features of technology that makes it better than, let's say, what we already have? Now? So firstly, um, we can actually uh, develop all the metal oxides from metals that can be recycled. Right, okay. Um, the graphene can also be made, or the, the graphitic compound that we use together with the graphene can be made from bio-waste and plastics and tyre waste. Um, so, so far we're using um, uh, products that are, uh, if you like, are in their second use, right? Right, okay. Um, yep, and then, so the electrolyte is the only thing that we need to synthesise from scratch. And then the actual pouch itself, which is an aluminium pouch, uh, can also be made from recycled aluminium. So effectively, uh, the carbon footprint of the battery itself uh, is very low. Um, and secondly, it makes it 100% recyclable at the end of its life, which is around about 30 years. Our standard warranty is 20 years for the product because we can get uh, 18,000 cycles uh, before it drops down to below 80% of its capacity. Um, so, you know, we've been pretty pleased at uh, some of the outcomes that we've, we've been able to achieve. So much so that we are now uh, third party accredited. So in other words, we um, sent this to the TUV laboratories in Germany um, and we have the battery itself accredited to international standards. So this is not just a dream, this is real. We're now installing them in mum and dad houses. We're installing them in uh, commercial and industrial locations. Uh, we put them in forklifts. Uh, we're in the process of putting them into electric vehicles. We're developing one for the Department of Defense for uh, a missile program uh, or defense missile program. Uh, and we're also developing a couple of others for homeland security in the USA. I can't go into too much detail with that one. Sure. In the PR books, you've said that the potential applications of this technology are limitless. Um, in addition to transforming energy sources for homes, commercial and industrial properties, which is obviously the feature of, of my magazine, the power cap technology is currently being adopted for, as you also point out, futuristic hypertactile electric vehicles, EVs, boats, solar, golf carts, um, frequency control ancillary vehicles for wind and solar farms, and even hypersonic and anti-ballistic missile. Yes. Yada, yada, yada. So basically, it's it's hybrid of electrostatic and electrochemical architecture composition to make it ideal for mobile and portable applications. Okay, so to question then, so um, who is actually, I mean, commercially taking up this brush of uh, this technology now? When I say commercially, I mean, where is this being uh, installed? Um, and why aren't we seeing more of it? I mean, this, I mean, if I, I, I know, I know it's your, your, your marketing guys, but if I do read your stuff, it sounds almost perfect. Like, why haven't I got one in my house? I mean, what, seriously, but why isn't this? Um, top of the news, I mean, we keep hearing about green, blue, hydrogen, EVs, yada, yada. Um, you know, if I, if I hear the word, if I hear the word Tesla one more time, I'm going to scream. Like, why aren't, why aren't we hearing more, <laughs> about, more about this? I mean, this is kind of okay, so, revolutionary. Yeah, we, we've just, yeah, we've only just recently been able to achieve that. Um, so we're in the middle of a capital raising at the moment to uh, increase the scale of our production. 
So we're limited in how many we could produce at the moment. And we've had them on trial, even though that we've had them third party tested. We've had them in various homes and various commercial applications where we've been testing them, mm. uh, see how they're going. We've also had them in mobile applications. So the stationary applications of, you know, mum and dad at home, commercial industrial, grid stabilisation, uh, are things that we're testing at the moment. Uh, and also in the mobile where we put them into, you know, the golf carts, forklifts, electric vehicles. So we're just going through that trialling process and um, satisfying ourselves that it's good to go for market. But at the moment, um, we, uh, like we partnered with a Chinese company to produce this for us and um, uh, we're limited as to how much we can actually get to market. So we're currently doing uh, a pre-IPO. We're going to be going public at the end of the year and we're going to build a 100 megawatt hour um, uh, a year battery plant uh, here in uh, in Bowen, which is in the Whit Sunday uh, Regional Council area. Yep. Um, mainly because we can get plastics and tyres there cheaply and uh, be able to produce the carbon there. And so... Uh, it just made sense that we could do that. And we're right next to the Coal Holdings Railway uh, facility there so that we can actually distribute it um, without disruption throughout Australia. So over the next three months, you will actually see a lot of advertising um, for the mum and dad and commercial applications. Um, so we'll be able to start taking deposits sometime in July uh, because we're hoping to complete the factory construction sometime in November, December of this year. So uh, it's a fairly tight schedule, um, but uh, our engineers are feeling pretty confident about uh, what what can be achieved in that period. So, uh, so yeah, you, you will see that um, in the new financial year, um, which is um, just around the corner. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au. On your website says, Australia is a major supplier of energy to world markets, but unfortunately it is predominantly coal, oil, gas and uranium. Now with PowerCap technology, we have a clean, safe, sustainable power source to offer the world. This technology literally uses waste to create clean, uh, to create a clean energy storage device without harming the planet. Okay, how do we package this? Um, and and so over there. Got, yeah, so we've got two of our seniors, um, executives that are actually heading to America. Uh, David McGrath actually leaves in about 15 minutes. Okay. Uh, his plane takes him, sorry, 18 minutes. Um, um, so we've got those two ex executives going over to the US to have a look at the production um, uh, capabilities that we can establish there on the East Coast. So they're talking to a couple of guys out of South Carolina, Georgia, um, uh, Virginia, um, Florida, um, uh, 
at the top end of Florida there, Jacksonville. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm actually leaving next week to catch up with them at a, a, an electric vehicle conference in uh, uh, South Carolina. Um, so, so we're looking to establish uh, a larger plant uh, in the US because the American market and the European market is significantly greater than what we're dealing with here. Um, so, uh, so the US is um, a fairly stable uh, economy and um, there's no sovereign risk there. So we can actually protect our IP and enforce any rights that we can have. Um, so, so we're looking into uh, setting up in the US um, um, to try to have something up and running by uh, next year, next calendar year. Um, so we've got a what we call a relatively small plant here in Australia to satisfy the Australian, New Zealand and Oceania markets. And then we're looking to set up on the east coast uh, of America uh, for the American and uh, European markets. Um, so, you know, that, that program, and the, the reason that we need to go public uh, and get this IPO out by the end of the year is um, uh, to make sure that we don't lose any of that momentum that we build up. Okay, at the end of the day, energy take-up closely follows, probably understatement, cost per calorie, right? So how does this technology compare to, say, coal, whose cost per calorie is still quite low? Yep, so um, coal and gas infrastructure requires, um, although actually there's been some recent developments to make them smaller, but effectively you need large infrastructure. Um, so you've got a fairly long payback period. Um, now, the cost of mining coal, bringing it to a... Um, uh, a facility where you can convert it to electricity, um, you're looking around about the um, sort of six to seven cents per kilowatt hour, right. although those prices, there's a little pressure on those prices to go up. Um, so the majority of the places around the world try to sort of stay below that uh, 10 cents per kilowatt hour. Uh, and because it's a large centralised plant, you've got to then pay for the infrastructure uh, poles and wires infrastructure to distribute it. Um, in our case here, we're going to transmit it at high voltage and then step down and, you know, the distributors then distribute um, um, the energy to, you know, the home users and commercial users, etc. Um, so you've got two layers of costings um, that you've got to try to overcome. The cost of production of the electricity and then you've got the cost of uh, transmitting it and distributing it to uh, to the users. So if you compare that with, um, let's say, solar and and batteries, long life batteries, not ones that just last, you know, ten years, but right. you need to get something that lasts twenty years so you can amortise that cost over a greater period. Um, you'll find that um, our levelised costs of energy. Uh, is sig significantly lower than um, uh, coal-fired um, centralised plants. Um, one, because we, we don't need to pay for the poles and wires infrastructure. It's good to have it there, right? So 
because you need some sort of backup. So we, at the moment, we're using a grid as backup, but um, I'm sure over time it'll be um, uh, hydrogen or something diesel. Um, so, uh, so effectively, uh, at the moment, we are competitive uh, against coal and gas. Um, and um, look, we're signing power purchase agreements here that are saving um, uh, commercial customers um, more than 30%. So it's ranging between 30 and 50% over current cost, particularly in regional areas that um, seem to uh, get lobbed with much higher electricity prices. Mm. All right. Um, so Australian producers are reached somewhere about 2.4% of total world energy. Can your technology help raise that figure and help make Australia um, an energy superpower, rather, like they claim that hydrogen will work? Look, I think you need both. I'm not sure that you can rule one out mm -hmm. against the other. Um, now, hydrogen has uh, limitations as well, uh, mainly because um, to be able to get the energy density that you need, um, you need to compress it up to about six, 700 bars of pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, which could cause a few issues. Um, um, you know, compressed hydrogen is nothing short of a, an atomic bomb. So, uh, but look, the safety standards are pretty good um, that govern that. So, um, you know, the chances of something going wrong uh, is fairly slim. Um, so uh, we're actually developing uh, as a backup to our battery system uh, a hydrogen system where we use either nitrogen or carbon as a carrier which means that we can actually uh, compress it down to pressures that are just slightly ab above the barbecue gas bottle that you would have at your place okay um, so um, so that uh, and that allows us to actually be able to move a lot of hydrogen, like transport, um, a lot more cost effectively. So we've developed a reformer, uh, which allows us to, so let's say if we use nitrogen, so that means we're storing ammonia, um, we can actually put the ammonia through a, um, a reformer, uh, put the nitrogen back into the atmosphere, 78% of our atmosphere is nitrogen, um, and then the hydrogen, which is a fairly pure form of it, uh, can go through and then run your fuel cell and provide electricity that way. So we do have a hydrogen program running in parallel with our power cap system. So we look at hydrogen as being a backup um, and we look at the batteries as being uh, temporary energy storage. So there, there's an application for both. Let's say this technology is rolled out over over all over Australia tomorrow, like like you, you're, you're hoping it is. Right? So, will the design <laughs> will the design of houses say have to be modified to make this technology ultimately viable? Uh, not at all. So, um, effectively, um, um, so long as you have a roof that's preferably facing north, we're in the southern hemisphere. You can actually collect sufficient solar from there to be able to run your uh, house uh, for the whole 24-hour period, even though your collection period may be l limited to a few hours during the day when the sun's up. So 
So you can actually install these batteries um, um, in the garage or, you know, um, outside the house, etc. It really doesn't matter. Uh, and store the excess amount of solar that you produced into those batteries so that when the sun's gone down or there's cloud cover, etc., um, you've got that stored energy to uh, be able to keep you going. So you don't need to modify uh, the house design, but look, the majority of architects already understand the uh, benefits of um, having the roof structure uh, facing the right way um, to maximise the amount of uh, solar production, mm -hmm. but it also, particularly in hot climates, et cetera, to make sure that you're not developing um, a house that's going to be, um, you know, really hot and humid um, and that can be easily ventilated. So, um, so the normal sort of architectural rules used um, today um, uh, don't need to change at all. Um, so we just put the battery in. Incidentally, the battery is um, uh, approximately a metre high. Right. And it's only about 300 millimetres thick. Right. And it's only um, about 800 mil wide. So it's only a, a very small area that it occupies in your um, in your garage or um, out the back, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no issue with um, with actual storage space. Okay. So, but you still need solar panels, though, don't you? So, have you guys combined with a with a supplier or producer of solar panels for your idea to become or to get rolled out on mass? Um, look, we haven't um, started looking at the solar panels yet, mainly because. Um, Oh, look, there's hundreds and hundreds of uh, companies, uh, mainly concentrated in China, yep. that are developing some pretty good solar panels. Um, and uh, look, that they can actually produce those things in mass uh, at a relatively low cost because of their, uh, you know, uh, inherent uh, low yep. labour costs that they have there. Uh, and they're very good quality uh, panels. Um, so... For us to try to compete um, with that directly, uh, it would have taken us quite a while to be able to try to come up with something that had that benefit. But we are looking at um, incorporating our storage system with those solar panels so that they come built in mm -hmm. to the solar panel rather than having a central battery in the house. But that's we're probably a year off from being able to develop that. But um, Look, you know, normal solar that people have in their house uh, and a battery uh, in the garage uh, looks like the, you know, the basic design uh, for these systems. Um, and unfortunately, uh, Australia's got limited um, solar panel manufacturing capability. Look, I know a lot of the universities are spending uh, yeah. a lot of time and money on developing that. Uh, and there's uh, a couple of breakthroughs there that might give us an advantage. Um, but we figured if we can get the storage and backup things right, then the guys that are focusing on the generation side of it, um, uh, they can concentrate on that. We've got plenty to do with all the various the batteries. I imagine. So when are you looking at uh, launching this in, in, in Australia? So... Um, 
uh, July uh, is when we're looking. So at the moment, it's just um, we're uh, basically uh, getting all the installation companies up to speed with uh, what we're developing uh, and getting them to get an understanding of the, the benefits. Um, and then we will um, launch formally in July. So we've telling them what we're going to tell them. Um, and I would imagine by June, we're going to have to tell them again. And then July, we're going to tell them what we told them. So, uh, so you know, we're a chance of making it stick. So, um, so yeah, July 1st is the target launch date. Um, the factory we're hoping to commission in November. So, um, so we'll have our production in place by then. Well, you have your work cut out for you, sir. Um, thank you, Ahmed El CEO of ZE or ZED, for your time today. My pleasure, and thank you very much for your time. It's quite all right. It's been fascinating. Um, you've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Brent Kermelitic, and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews, and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au, where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine.